Well, welcome everybody back for another fun episode of the Rolex Whiskey Passion Project. And today I have a gentleman who I've really gotten to know over the last couple of years. And I just, I love everything they're doing over there. Um, the man, Christian Huber, welcome to the show, my friend. I'm Thank so happy you. to have you on here. He he and his family have a very special place that he'll tell you more about. Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself and the family, my friend. Well, to start off, just thank you so much for even consider, considering me to be on this podcast. I, like I said, over the last few years, your relationship and just getting to hang out with you and talk whiskey from all over the world, it's been truly an amazing experiment. And, you know, I've learned so much from you and hopefully vice versa. So I'm excited. Oh, yeah. for sure well a little about me so my name is christian huber i'm a part of the seventh generation of the uh huber winery starlight distilleries um in starlight indiana um i kind of focus under the beverage alcohol for us um i studied viticulture and enology in niagara lake ontario at niagara college um i moved to southern italy where i worked for the contino paolo family um did a little winemaking out there then straight out to california where I worked for Domain Shandon, uh, Cake Bread Cellars, and then finally Joseph Phelps. So a little bit about us. Founded in 2001, we represent the first farm-to-bottle distillery post-prohibition in the city of Indiana. We are located 20 minutes from downtown Louisville, Kentucky, so still right in that heart of bourbon country. And we focus on terroir-driven products, and I'm really excited to dabble into kind of what makes us different and kind of our uh, grain-to-bottle philosophy and Chris do you want to tell them just a little tiny bit about what actually goes on down there like we were just talking about how it's like a destination to come hang out and oh yeah as well I mean <laughs> it's definitely multi- oh yeah it's definitely multifaceted so we were founded back in 1843 so it's our 180th harvest here on the farm kind of give you a backstory we're not just a distillery we're just not a winery we're an agricultural destination. We see about 750,000 people to the estate every single year, uh, which make makes us the second most visited distillery um, in Kentuckyana, right behind Buffalo Trace. So we're very proud of that. But if you come to the estate, we have fresh fruit all year round, starting in May from strawberries to blackberries to black raspberries to peaches to apples. Uh, you can do, you pick um, pumpkins, you can pick a Christmas tree. Uh, we have a full-time bakery that takes all those fruits and vegetables and make them into pies and cookies. And we also do fudge. We have a full-time ice cream shop. Uh, we also have an event hall that does about 50 to 55 weddings a year currently. And also we have a full-time uh, family park. Um, so you can bring your families out, being able to enjoy the outdoors, the agriculture, and be, you know, get out of the city a little bit and really, at, you know, connect where your food comes from, but also connect with just some beautiful fields and being able to be outside so it's a really unique destination to say the least oh very unique i mean i was i'm blown away every time i go there i mean often i've been on the weekends when there's just thousands of people having the best time with their families and live music and great food and i think we're you know like taking your kids around to pick the fruit you know and and the farmer's market and of course the ice cream shop and the sandwich yeah it just doesn't die Um, it's truly, it's, it's such a unique environment and it's so special because everybody there is just the nicest people in the world. And you just smile. You literally just smile when you're there. 
Well, we take great pride in that. And thank you for the kind words. Every single one of our family members, employees, we take great care care in what we do. And we're very passionate about, you know, being able to be a destination and a very, as so I say, kind of European destination where we're blending beverage alcohol with the family setting, which is a very, very fine art to do. But we bring people together to reconnect outside their phones, outside the computer, you know, get them to reconnect more on a personal level to conversations, having fun. And that's what we're all about, bringing people together in a meaningful manner. So Chris, let's talk a little bit about it's, I mean, whiskey. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about whiskey in the family. Cause you, like you said, you know, you were wine, champagne, you know, a lot of that in your pedigree. What let's talk about whiskey and, 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 and the move. Oh, yeah. Well, I will say so. And basically earlier post-prohibition, my family has always been in beverage alcohol, both within wine, but also within distilled brandy, not distilled bourbon or rye. Uh, but being a brandy distillery with all the natural fresh fruits we had around the, wrong, or around the farm, around the estate, it only made sense that we produced brandy and not bourbon back in that time. Um, going into like the 60s and 70s post-prohibition, my grandfather, Gerald and Carl Huber, they reestablished the winery. Uh, so basically, they were taking all the fresh fruit that we had extra and converting that into wine as we know it as fruit wine. Uh, I mean, doing strawberry, apple, peach, and anything excess of that, they were making brandy out of. And it was a way for us to you know, store that extra fruit or extra fruit coming off the farms around us. And basically that kind of philosophy went into about 2000, 2001, when my dad started really lobbying to get the, what I'm going to call brandy license back in Indiana. So Indiana as a state did not want us to have a bourbon license, which was very hypocritical since the largest or one of the largest distilleries producing bourbon at that time was sitting in Lawrenceburg, also known as Seeker or NGP. But dad basically in 2001 got the brandy license passed and we started producing Far in a bottle, sustainably grown brandy. So we did an apple, we did a peach. At that time, we did a pear um, and ODVs. And it was basically all the fruit that was going to go to compost or go to waste for us. So it was a really easy way for us to basically get started in a very, very small scale. In 2004. This is, this is, this is 2001, 2004. So your dad is maybe a little older at that point than you guys are right now. Oh, 100%. Yeah, he was, he was in his uh, upper 30s and 40s at this point. And basically, 0405 is when he went to ADI. That's when Bill Owens was forming American Distilling Institute. My dad was on one of the founding founding meetings uh, with Lisa, uh, with Dave Pickerel, and many others that are legends in the distilling community. But it gave him the network to basically get the idea to do whiskey. And as you know, based on the story, it was Dave mm-hmm. Pickerel that really pushed my dad into doing distilling bourbon and rye. Um, and basically, from 2006 to about 2010, they really and had and, Dave, and Dave was was still with Maker's Mark around that point, wasn't he? Or was he coming point, to an end at, of that? Yeah, you know what he was he was coming to an end, and at that point, he was taking on consulting jobs. Um, yep. There was a very very famous place up in Vermont that he was not named at this yep. point, uh, which would be now known as Whistle Pig, that he was kind of creating. There was Peachtree Estate in Colorado, and a few others that he really what I want to call, founded and helped get it to the forefront. He was like the Johnny Appleseed of craft distillation, right? He really helped us with our quality control, was able to help us legislatively 
you know, help my father get the new, what we call the craft artisan distilling clause in Indiana passed in 2013, uh, which really funny. And I know you know the story, but for anybody listening, Starling Distillery was actually supposed to be an independent bottler. Um, Dave had us really set up to be similar to what Smooth Amber was doing at that time. So taking NGP barrels and finishing them, basically, mm-hmm. the state. But basically, right before we got going, Dave kind of told my dad that that wasn't the way for us to go. Since our values were always in farm to bottle, the agriculture, and really having the land to do it, he's like, you guys probably just need to you know, stay with your own juice. Um, so since the beginning, we had one batch that uh, Dave helped us source from Kentucky, which was the inaugural, uh, the inaugural whiskey from Starlight. Other than that, you'll see every single bottle of Starlight say age, distilled, bottled, and grown on our property, which we're really, really excited about. Um, but we were we weren't supposed to be that. But we kind of looked back at, you know, the philosophies of the business and the philosophies of the property and the family and decided that we really can be a you know, a sustainable farm to bottle distillery. We just had to really focus um and take the time and commitment. And for those who are distillers listening to this takes a lot of effort to get to that four-year mark when you're just starting out. I look back. At oh, I, 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 it must it must take forever. I mean, in, it, it, it's four years, but it must seem like forever. Oh, yeah. When you catch that moment. <laughs> in the cash outflow. Oh, I know. It's like you're investing so much with so little return, and it's crazy, especially whenever you do not know how the bourbon's going to turn out. At, Star, at Starlight Distillery, we got very lucky that we had Dave to help us, but at that point, Dave helped us get Lisa Wicker on our team. So Lisa joined as our master distiller at that point and really came with a lot of knowledge from B. They came and basically set us up and helped. And, know, and Christian, what, what year What year are we playing now? 12, 12 13? You're, at this there. point, you're actually in 13, 14, and 15. We started putting back more and more barrels. Nothing crazy. 500, 600 barrels a year. Nothing massive. But just being able to see the different types of corn um, back in that time, Starlight, we were, you know, really, really experimenting with different types of mash bills, weeded mash bills, high rye mash bills, but also playing with the non-GMO corns. We were doing Bloody Butcher, Lancaster White, Hoppy Blue, and different non-GMO yellow. So waxy yellows versus yellow dense. It was really interesting to see those flavor profiles. And it basically by 2017, we kind of knew where we wanted to go mash bill wise. Um, and we, we found two that we really isolated and two yeast strains that we really isolated. And then our cooperage, which I'll get into a little bit, our cooperage is, they either love it or hate us, but me and Blake are very passionate about what we do with our <laughs> cooperages in the wood. But when it comes down to it, we really wanted to figure out our own flavor profile, right? We wanted it to be starlight, right? We didn't want it to taste like anything else. We wanted it to be in the category of bourbon and rye. But we really wanted to own our own destiny at that point. We didn't want to come out and try to do, you know, a Maker's Mark mash bill or a Heaven Hill mash bill. We really wanted to create, you know, Starlight as Starlight. And that's, I think, a lot of people. And the reason why we've been able to grow the way we have is the support from you guys, but owning our own destiny with our own mash bill and flavor profile. Now you're at this point around, you're, you're, you're in Italy, you're in, in, Napa, you haven't mm-hmm. come into the whiskey world yet, right? Because you're kind of like, what, what, with you and Blake, because Blake also went and got pedigree, but it wasn't really in, he wasn't in whiskey either, right? He was also wine and no. champagne. 
Yeah, so he went to, um, so up in New York, he went to uh, Cornell University. He did a bit of culture knowledge. He uh, worked for Shandon, uh, just like myself. And then he went to go work for Christian Lewex at Dominus. And Dominus is, again, a, a Napa cab that uh, Christian kind of stood up under the Jean-Pierre Moex program in his company. Uh, he also does the wine Petrus out of um, Bordeaux. But when you're looking at it, just being able to learn under, you know, great master blenders in the wine world really taught us something very unique when we came to the whiskey world. And there's not... Well, I, I, don't, I don't want to stop you for one second there because, you know, on the wine, what's an average Petrus bottle go for? Uh, two dollars. I, mean, I wouldn't say probably uh, three thousand, four thousand dollars bottles. I, I think, yeah, folks, yeah, it's it starts at about like thirty five hundred. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it, 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 it's pretty wild because you know, not very often, but I'll go to a steak restaurant where you know somebody will order that bottle. And I'm like, that's an eight, six thousand dollar, eight thousand dollar bottle. That's pretty wild. Well, you know, for one, what you know, I uh, know. And it's insane, but the good thing with us is our father wanted us to go work for people that were smarter than him, smarter than us, and we really learned a lot from those internships yeah. and being able to have a good network. I would have never have been sitting here talking to you at 27 years old if I didn't have those experiences. Like I said, Dave Pickerel, uh, Lisa Wicker, you know Bruce and Dennis Cape Red and Bill Phelps and everybody that I've worked with have all taught me important lessons. You know, they've taught me about, you know, their family businesses and what have made them successful in life, you know, stylistically, what to stay away from, what to go for. And all that combination really led me and Blake into, you know, a winning formula, but also a mindset that we can do something great and not only do something great, do something that's going to be generationally great and that's what we wanted to say well, you're, 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 yeah and and you're also talking about you know all those people are incredibly passionate about what they do you know so you know you take that with your inherent passion and it's kind of like you're just you know you're layering up to the next level so now so now you come back and now whiskey is on the forefront and now yeah. you know for you and blake you're coming from what you've done the last couple of years, you're like, hey, now we're going to step into the world of whiskey. Oh, yeah. And so what's that, it, what's that like? What's that like? <laughs> well, it was it's a very different mindset between um, distilled spirits and wine. Very, very different type of processing, a very different type of the way we go about our day to day activities. And for us, we brought a lot of you know, common practice from the wine world into the whiskey world, a lot to do with fermentation kinetics. As you know, you being here on site, for those who haven't been on site at Hubert's, we're very tall, skinny, closed top fermentations. Everything that we do is sweet mash, right? Depending on what it is, we have different cooking protocol and procedures, um, different types of yeast. But, you know, we can ferment very different types of mash bills with different types of Saccharomyces cerevisiae and different temperatures so we can optimize you know, certain esters that we want to capture. And, you know, that is common practice within the wine world, but not in the whiskey right. world. And so we are able to really, you know, pinpoint our strengths within our winemaking degrees and hammer into the whiskey side of things. So basically when we got back, we really redid our fermentation kinetic programs. We are able to, you know, in our cooking even, we are able to get higher bricks from our actual cooker and we we're able to do nicer, more steady fermentations that we're going completely through and faster. 
and getting the desired esters that we were looking for out of the pot still. And so all that kind of configured made a really good white base spirit, that white dog as we're calling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're taking that and we were able to take what me and Blake studied in school, which was we both hypercritically looked at American and French oak and Hungarian oak and really understood how to express certain flavor profiles based on the toasting and charring process and being able to really, you know, pinpoint kind of a mouthfeel that we're looking for. So we take that, you know, knowledge of oak and being able to manipulate that and the base spirit that we have into what we have today, which is starlight. Um, so using a lot of French coopers in the, in the whiskey world now. So we're taking, mm-hmm. uh, Canton Cooper is one I want to highlight real quick. Cause they were the first one that really had, let me have the opportunity to kind of create my own barrel and barrel profile. So if for those, like I said, a 53 gallon American oak barrel is not made equal. Um, they're very, very different. If you're looking between Cooper's to Cooper's differences. And when you're looking between that barrel, typical starlight mash bill we do a very very long heavy toast uh which again pulls those millard reactions so when you have that degradation of the lignin right you're pulling those hemlioceleos that fruit for all bringing that into that uh spirit for us and that's kind of what we're looking there uh we do a char one and char three and typically we do extra toasted heads and charred heads uh, within our cooperages but canton was one the first one that allowed me to really pinpoint certain temperatures uh for actual toasting which really was fun too. Um, you had uh, Zach Cooperage as well that's now allowing me to do some of that in Kelvin. So we're really excited. And of course, ISC, we have two custom profiles from them. But within just our main Cooperage set at Starlight, there's six different main Coopers and each of the main Coopers at least has two, if not three different types of barrels in our programs. I mean, I, that to me, I mean, and then obviously we'll talk about other barrels in a second, but you know, for people listening, it's so unique. It, there's nothing like, I mean, you know, I remember the first time I went to visit Christian and his family and I walked out and I've seen obviously a, a lot of amazing places. And I'm like, man, I feel like a lot of these places are blockbuster and these dudes are Netflix. Like they're just, on, they're on a different creative creative level because I can't say Christian, you, you mean, it's not like you Starlight's not sold in every liquor store in the country. They don't have, a CFO that's pushing them to produce like a billion barrels a year. And we don't care what you put in. They're literally everything that they release is a passion project. And I, it really is. And everything has a story. And I think that's just what keeps it so tight as they're building the narrative for the story for the future. Would I be correct? I mean, oh, you know, 100%. laying down barrels. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the good thing with us is that we never felt rushed. Uh, we had a winery to support our distillery. And again, right. I mean, this was the largest father-son project that completely blew up. I mean, it almost brings you to tears when I think about it. I mean, we were never supposed to be in how big we are today. I mean, it was just us having fun because we enjoyed the industry. I mean, I'd be a liar. I mean, I just love the industry as a whole. I mean, within American bourbon speaking wise, you know, I drink Elijah Craig. I love me some Heaven Hill, like I said. Logic Craig Barrel Proof is one of the best deals in whiskey right now, I truly believe. I drink Four Roses Single Barrel. My brother, my same way, Four Roses, my dad, an old Forrester fan. We just love the industry as a whole. I mean, as you know, I have a love for scotch, too. Um, yeah, so it was one of those things that, you know, we were, you know, creating something, and we are a part of an industry that we already loved and that we had passion with. As you mentioned, and 
we didn't need to have a CFO, like you said, really, really pushing us. We just enjoyed the sustainable growth. We wanted to make a foundation that was strong, that was able to, you know, take it to the next generation. At the end of the day, if and if I'm lucky to have kids, my girlfriend's in the back of the room back here. If I'm lucky enough <laughs> to have kids one of these days, you know, I want them to have their own opportunity to want to be a part of this business. Um, it's one of those things where if you look at it, it's, you know, it's, I'm putting barrels back for them, right? And they're going to see that cash flow, not me. Uh, and I really want to put those 10 to 20 year old barrels back. And it just, with a, with a family owned business, you know, we can kind of realize things when we want them, not based on an agenda. Our growth goals are very, very slow and it makes a lot of people frustrated. And uh, we denied California this year. We had Washington denied, Texas denied, Florida denied again. Um, and, you know, we have to, re- you know, say no to these distributors right now just because we want, we're an old school family business. We want to treat the guys that were here first uh, with respect, right? You don't trade new friends for old friends. No, and, and, I, and I think, yeah, I mean, that's what another, another thing that makes you guys so unique is, you know, I, and, and it's just, you're not, it, you can tell from the minute you walk in there, this is not a financially driven, this is a passion project. It goes down to everything. So let's now, so now you come home from all your studying, you jump into whiskey, you and Blake and your dad, your dad, you know, you got Dave Pickerel, you kind of, you're getting some knowledge and you obviously have your, you know, your mash bills are locked in for what you're mm-hmm. going to do. Now, I'd imagine at this point, the whiskey business is starting to hum. It's a little louder than it was maybe when you first put attention on it. A hundred percent. So when I got home and uh, so early 2018, my dad yeah. was like, all right, let's, let's start a single barrel program. Cause we had some four and five year barrels. So, you know, I was, I thought I was hot. We did 34 barrels that year, like sold a uh, private. I'm like, I sold 34 barrels of whiskey. I thought like, so that was incredible for us back there. And I was like, awesome. The very next year, it was like, I put it in like 2019 and put it in the 70s. But 2020 was a big year. We did 214 single barrels in 21. I mean, we were up in the 600s. And last year, we had to cap it in 2022. We capped it at 750. Um, and this year, by the way, folks, you heard the first, it was 34 to 700, like capped. Yeah. Yeah. And in four years. <laughs> yeah. We're, I mean, we're extremely blessed though, but. It's people like yourselves. Starlight, we don't have a big marketing budget. I mean, I don't think we have a budget at all, to be honest. We just, (laughs) you know, we truly believe that the product speaks for itself. The property, you know, is our marketing, right? We don't need to tell people this is is the best, this is it. We always tell people this is what Starlight is. This is what the essence is. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. We're not trying to be in every single store. You know, we're trying to create the best whiskey we can possible. Um, and again, we're very blessed to be able to say that, right? That we don't need to be in every store and we're not looking for national distribution. We're looking for the right distribution partners, the right distribution channels and the right retailers. And in the end of the day, we truly believe that's the winning combination, not to force a bunch of whiskey down people's throats. You know, it's small growth, getting older and older whiskey. And that's been the success story for us. And looking back, like I said, 750 barrels last year when we capped them, I mean, that was a huge milestone for us. I remember selling that 170 or 100, 750th barrel. And we're like, I mean, if you look back four years later, we've sold 34 and it was just like that. Yeah. Just unreal for us. And it just, 
it's one of those moments where it just it was one it was surreal right that people actually wanted to come out here that people were lining up uh for like our cigar batches i mean it it honestly brings you to tears when you think about it, just the support the community has done for us because we have would not be here today without people yourself like yourself and people in the community that really help pioneer and tell our stories to the masses it is that story that you say i mean even as you know as a non-family member it brings tears to your eye that you guys actually stuck to the plan and kept going and kept pushing and kept, kept pushing the envelope because we're going to get into that now so now here you are you know we're in 2023 i think first time i met you was right 2020 early 2021 where like the world was deemed safe or whatever that was that we had just gone through in 2020 and you were play you you and i play with you know i mean i can't even imagine how many whiskeys i've drank with you in there with different barrels and you're yep. talking about scotch barrels and brazilian like so when did you decide like hey this is great we got we got a business i love what i do but you know I, I, I want to keep being creative. When did the, when did you sourcing these, like, sometimes what, like single barrels, just one barrel from somewhere well, and that was filled? When did that, when did that kind of playground start for you? And like, what was that? You know, I, I look at that as like, that's your Lego set. Like you go play over yeah. there. But then, you know, your real job is, you know, what you do guys do for Starlight every day. <laughs> I don't know. And, you know, I've, I was very lucky. So my brother was coming back out of California as well in 2020. And basically in 2021, you know, I was a Scotch fan at heart, right? I got to make American bourbon, American rye, you know, all the time. And so I fell in love with Scotch. And a lot of the finishing barrels, I'm going to use one, Balvenie, um, they're Portwood or Caribbean cask, right? I started seeing, you know, that popularity. And it got me really thinking if I could use my winemaking degree with these finishing barrels within American bourbon. And I thought finishing barrels in American whiskey really had a bad name. So I was like, I think I can change the narrative of American finishing products. I really, truly believe, you know, that it's, we weren't getting the quality of cask and I don't think people understood what to look for within these finishing casks. So basically in 20 and 21, I started sourcing these really high end cherry casks. Um, one of my favorite scotches is the sherry finish, um, is a Pedro Jimenez finish. So I went over and found some good quality casks that was actually imported, um, through Scotland and down towards us, I was able to nab two of those barrels through those PX hogsheads, and they were phenomenal. Uh, really dark. And then what about what about what about my favorite, the mini? Oh yeah, so I mean, yeah, and I got those little uh, as they're called. I'm not saying it's a little firkin cask, and I got those little cats yep. that are super dark, super concentrated. But again, it came down to we were looking for that quality over quantity. So I was yeah. rejecting yep. more barrels than we were getting in. Mostly because the American importers didn't know how to handle those casks. They were going off or they were sulfured and they were shipping them over in the middle of the summer and they were just completely frying those barrels. And and nothing against them, but they were they were off, they were faulted. But I was able to use Well, I mean you're I, you're one of I mean, how many guys are doing that? Like they must be like, What does this guy want? He's like ordering it off the a la carte menu. Like that's not well, no one's ordering this. We don't know what to do with this. Yeah, and it was it was lucky because Starlight, like you mentioned, I could source a single barrel of somebody if I thought it was of quality, and that really separated us with some of our fun finishing projects super early on. So I was able to basically, you know, look at some of the importer lists and find 
you know, certain chateaus and certain crews and certain distilleries and certain wineries that I knew were of quality. They had good winemaking teams, good legacy and great quality cast coming out of their program. And now I had a battle with Scotland, which was a huge, huge factor early on because I had no reputation. And like you said, who's this American boy that was at that time, I was like 24, <laughs> you know, waking up at 4 a.m. calling us trying to get these casks. But you know what? I knew it was worth the time sourcing quality wineries and quality distilleries over there because I wanted the best and I wanted good representations of what I had. Uh, but going back to you um, right now, I think we're at 34 different SKUs with finishing because I wanted to experiment. And at the end of the day, I do everything from Hungarian Tokai all the way down to my Sherry to, to Madeira. All right. I got my Armiax, my Condex. But everything we do, I go to the importers. I know you had uh, Jessica from H and A on yeah, last year. Yeah, yeah, uh, one of my yeah. good friends. Um, and like yeah. I said, I would go down to H and A or go down to Spaceside Cooperage, um, or I privately bring barrels in myself uh, under some licenses, and being able to go down there and smell forty or fifty barrels and pick four, and I get the top four that I find in that lot. And sometimes I don't take any if they're all faulted. But picking out the best representations that I can possible to match our mash bill. At Starlight, too, kind of to do the difference. What I'm putting into my sherry barrels versus my port barrels are totally different. I'm just, you know, making those what I want to call micro blends. I mean, I don't like the term very, 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 very small batch. But it's just, you know, taking yeah. four barrels that I think were of quality to match this port barrel. Or taking, you know, these four barrels and filling, you know, these hog kegs, not PX barrels. So I'm not just making like a blend and filling barrels up. I'm taking individual single barrels that I find and seeing how they work together and how they can be expressed, you know, above where they're at now by the finishing cask. I don't want the finishing cask to mask any flaws. I just want them to elevate the experience. And timing was a huge thing and where a lot of Americans went wrong or a lot of the industry went wrong. They were doing a lot of first fills uh, that were super, super mm-hmm. intense that would overwhelm the whiskey and then not blending it with some second fills. But, you know, I listened to a lot of what Scotland was doing and listening to how those master blenders were really handling their programs in a meaningful way. And I was using that at Starlight, which really set us apart um, super early on within the finishing cast series here in the United States. Plus, you know, I went out went out on a limb on a lot of stuff, as you know, with the Brazilian Umbarano, this cigar batch. Yep. You know, just trying to, you know, find something that was unique in the marketplace that I knew would be, you know, a flavor profile or a drinking experience that people could be excited to show their friend, right? To bring people together to have good conversation. You know, I want interesting whiskey that is complex. Still in the category, don't get me wrong. When I want you to open a bottle of Starling, I want you to know that it's bourbon or rye. But also wanted to be a complex experience, and I want you know people to have that. But I will say, no, I, 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 I look, I look at it, and it's like you know, it's it's, it's taking a fine ingredient and sous viding it, or you know, cask iron skillet, or it's you guys are, are master chefs at what you do, and the passion just keeps shining. Now for you, and in the world of whiskey, you know, now you guys are are a contender. You make a lot of whiskey, like you said. You're incredibly well visited and stuff like that. What whiskey experiences have you had and, you know, that have just blown your mind? 
within our portfolio or as a as an industry at large? Both, both, because you know when you put stuff in, you don't really, you know, you don't know what the end result's going to be. I mean, you have a pretty good idea because you guys are incredibly intuitive to everything you have there. But what's like for you when you put something, you're like, wow, that was next level. Yeah, and in our program, I will say some of our older you know, straight bourbon whiskeys finally are coming of age, right? Um, this year we have our first opportunity to bottle our 10. Um, we're actually not going to, we decided away from it because we really want to bottle a 10 year old. That's going to be, yeah, as you mentioned next level. And I have a couple of nine years this year that will be 10 next year that will fit that gap. That was a hard decision to make saying no to some 10 year old barrels, but we want our 10 to be spectacular. But we have a lot of our just straight bourbon whiskeys that are now getting around that age. That's you're finding some really intense flavor profiles and some super concentration of, you know, fruit notes with a lot of caramel, like wood tan into it. Vice versa, some of the Hungarian Tokais that I did with rye just really, really shine through. I was very blessed to find some Essencia barrels out there in Hungary and taking those barrels and being able to do a second fill on them. The first fills were a little too, I think, raisination. Uh, they got a lot of that kind of all like um, but the second fills that went for about a year, I think it was like 11 months they were in that cask, just turned out phenomenal. I'm looking at a bottle at my house right now. I'm very lucky how that one turned out. You know, when you look at it and you're like, this is incredible. But I will say too, I mean, without Starlight too, I mean, there's some incredible representations of American bourbon coming out right now. And I know me and you both share oh. love for Victor's. And yeah. Victor's cast strength stuff. I mean, it was there's some awesome stuff coming out of Louisville right now. And I think as an industry as a whole, you know, bourbon's on the rise and, and rye is on the rise. And in, it's something to be said that, you know, we are, you know, in the same industry. And yes, we are competitors. But as an industry as a whole, we're taking, you know, major strides forward as a community to take that European, to take the Australian, the Asian Pacific market on. Which is historically. Well, I, I think it also helps, Christian, that you have so many more eyeballs and so many more consumers. You know, when yeah. it wasn't that many consumers, it probably wasn't as fun. You know, I talked yeah. to a lot of people from the 80s and 90s when nobody wanted it. Like, no, literally, this is not, it was not needed. And then you look at the last, like, even like six, seven years. Like, it was, it's not even the last 10 years. It's like the last six, seven years. I think has given um, a lot of these distilleries an opportunity to kind of be like, hey, we don't have to just keep on making vanilla. Like vanilla we'll make and people will buy that. But man, I always want to know what a chocolate swirl would taste like if we did that. And and we can do that because we actually, we have whiskey available. And I think that obviously, you know, everyone, including you guys are laying more barrels down every year now because it's kind of like, it, it, the business is there. It's not, you know, before when you're saying you wait those four years, it's like, oh man, like there's no money. Like this is, yeah. this is so cash intensive. Now you're like, hey, let's put a couple and, and leave a couple there and pull a few out and make that and then play with a couple of other ones. You know, like oh, yeah. the creativity seems to be at an all time high. Oh yeah. And I think that creativity, like I said, I always called it like the renaissance of bourbon that's going on right now. Uh -huh. You know, there's so much what I'm going to call experimentation, artistry going on with what was, you know, a really simple industry. And that's, they, everyone needs to get an edge on it, right? We're all trying to, you know, get mm -hmm. these interesting blends or get these interesting barrel finishes out. I mean, 
all like every year. Well, you have. also have one of the most educated consumer probably right now. You know, thanks to the internet. You know, I'll, I'll go oh. visit some of these things, and you know, you'll talk about you know, even in in two thousand and one, you know, the people coming to work to make whiskey. You know, not many of them had a cell phone because you had to pay by the minutes. They were yep. barely on email. So they were just coming to work and there was no like there was no the only way to get your word out was like the distributors put your bottles on the truck and then they let out and you hope that they did a good job to do it. Here you are in 2023, the World Wide Web, Instagram, TikTok, online stores, you na- word of mouth can flow, you know, so quickly. It's like, well, hey, if we want to be the best, we've really got to put the best out there. A hundred percent. And you know what? It's really looking at businesses, you know, that were there way, way before us looking at the Shapiro's with Heaven Hill, looking at how Brown Foreman or Diageo or Sazerac, what they're doing when it comes down to getting high quality people, you know, out of the coast, the West Coast, and East Coast and bringing them to Louisville is something phenomenal, right? And that new ideas and like you said, that consumer and those in, or those members or employees that are now coming to Louisville, we're, we are really catching up as an industry. And I think people in America at least woke up a few years ago. And now you're on a global scale. I think you'll see a lot more visitation to uh, at least Louisville from outside of the United States. I sat on a few boards just watching the tourism that is coming back to this industry based on bourbon. is It's awesome. And I think you'll see a lot of infrastructure getting built by a lot of these distilleries. I mean, not even production-wise, with, but with uh, what we call these fancy tasting rooms coming up and i mean i hate to say it but the napaization of you know louisville oh yeah i would add danny on from bardstown you know they're about to open something you know on the main drag of taster and that's exactly that's when i remember going to napa she's i don't even know how long ago and you you're in like healsburg or william whatever it is and they're like hey you have a tasting room and by the way you know like an hour and a half away is our actual vineyard oh okay cool that's interesting all right i'll I'll give it a try i'll give it a whirl over here Uh, well, and I think, you know, now, going back to like someone like us, there, a huge success in Starlight was our proximity to Louisville, Kentucky. I mean, we're 20 minutes from downtown. Um, like I said, me and my girlfriend tonight, I mean, we're going to go downtown Louisville for dinner. I mean, we're so close to the heart of bourbon, but on the wrong side of the river. I mean, we are still Indiana bourbon and Indiana rye, but we're so close to, you know, great quality, you know, employees that work for a lot of these main heritage brands i like to highlight because starlight we're a very small team i mean there's literally yes five of us uh connor ballard um and connor was a barstown boy from actually lux row my brother myself ryan and we just hired a new guy uh who's coming from us from angels envy uh he starts the 27th but right now um, the fifth guy is my father and we're going to get that sixth guy coming in here on the 27th that's who does Starlight production, that's right? That's it. I mean, go you're wrong. I mean, <laughs> Nick Finn, Ellie Thomas, our accounting department, Kayla. But when it comes down to production, there's not many of us. And, you know, that's kind of how we like it. We like high quality, passionate people who are really going to come in every single day with a smile on their face because they're making a product that they can be proud of. And we want them to be as involved as the family members, right? We're not trying to just have another cog in the wheel, so to speak. We want yeah. people to feel like they are a part of it. They can walk the fields outside. They're able to do blends. You know, really, we like to have these collaborations back and forth. Like every you know couple of weeks, we do these blends for Carl T. And 
we all do on blind, me, dad, Blake, Connor, Ryan, and then whoever wins the blind gets to do it. And that's what I think is really fun with us because everybody here at Starlight is pretty much a master distiller. We're able to do everything and we're able to blend. And I think that has a lot of collaboration. That's why our culture is so good, I think. And keeping that culture and keeping that excitement and keeping that, what I want to call that enthusiasm going is key for us. And, you know, that's 100% because that's what puts the, that's what puts the, you know, the authentic uniqueness is that enthusiasm all day long. Oh, yeah. And, you know, if you're working with high quality people and enthusiastic people, that shows whenever you like when yourself comes, right? We're excited when people come into our door because we get to show them what we do day in and day out and what makes us different. And, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, I'm just blessed to be here at 27 years old. And like I said, this was something that got big and out of control just because you guys, <laughs> right? We're, we're blessed to have people like yourselves just come in day in and day out. And it's just, it's so exciting to see people's collections at Starlight. And it's incredible to me just to know that people from all around the country, all around the world are showing up now. And again, I don't know how people hear about it, but you know, at the end of the day, I love just talking with people. It's like, how'd you know about the brand or, you know, why'd you drive up today? And it's, it's incredible. And honestly, like I said, it brings you to tears when you see people like from everywhere show up. So it's, it's definitely fun. Tell me something. Not your juice. Give me an experience. I mean, I know you and I have, dr- have driven around drinking stuff that you've decanted, you know, on one of the Raptors in the fruit field. Give me something. I mean, because you've got a pretty cool collection too. Um, something that, that an experience that you were like, hey, I probably wouldn't have seen this happening, but now I did it. And wow. Anything like yeah. that? Like stand out? I mean, I'm sure there's a few of them, but. You know. Oh, yeah. And I can go. I mean, I have a love for old wild turkey. And that's just one of the things that I've really been passionate about. Uh, again, one of my oldest pre-pro bottles that me and Dad and Blake opened was distilled in 1913, uh, bottled in 1918, E.H. Taylor, pre-pro. Um, but you know what? I'm looking right here, and me and you talked about it last time. You know, the Balvini 30 that I got, um, Yeah, it's one of those incredible, uh, what I want to call experiences, the McAllen Oscuro is another one that I quite recently had. But even going back to some older representations of, you know, even Brown Foreman, right? There's great juice everywhere. And, you know, it's just, you know, a lot of people, when you look at the whiskey industry as a whole, you know, like, oh, I drink this or I drink that. What we like to do here is just blind taste, right? There's incredible product and incredible single barrels all around this country, just not here, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so for us to be able just to, you know, taste and enjoy this incredible products. I mean, even outside of whiskey or whiskey, you know, I drink brandy too, uh, tequila as well. Um, and it's just enjoying the industry, enjoying the families and the people that put this amazing industry together is, it's really fun. Uh, and it's, it's a very small community, but filled with passionate, exciting people that I love to be around. But yeah, the, quite recently, if I had to pick one bottle that I was just <laughs> absolutely just, you know, over over the moon about, I mean, I would probably have to give it to a uh, a non-bourbon or rye producer. I'd probably have to actually go over and give it to a scotch one, which was the uh, the McAllen Oscuro, the Duty Free. Um, and I got a few weeks of that. With, but, with, with, the, with the big metal stopper on the top of it? Yeah. <laughs> It's good. I mean, it's it was a good product. Oh, it's delicious. Um, and within bourbon wise, I mean, quite recently I just got a new uh, 
four rows of single barrel picked by Chris Zaborowski, uh, who's one of the whiskey, want to call it, uh, single barrel pickers that have been in the industry forever, uh, one of his picks, and it was incredible. Um, a little lower proof wise, but super integrated. And, you know, four rows of single barrels are, you know, a great bang for your buck, just like Elijah Craig, like I mentioned. So that was, mm-hmm. those two bottles will probably be my two I had to pick. I love it, dude. Well, I can't, I'm going to wrap it up because I can't appreciate you enough for coming on and chatting to me. And I always love our hang sessions. Oh, yeah. And, you know, most of, most, and most of the time when I'm out there visiting Christian, I'm actually doing a Four Roses single barrel pick because he's not open for California yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of that's changing. I mean, I'm looking at some of these rules. I had, I was talking to Prav. I had Prav on a few weeks back and we we're talking about like how DC is becoming this like hub for online. You know, yeah. like there, there's, there's things happening and, and, and it's, it's an older system. And I think now you have, you know, guys like you that are, coming out so strong and so passionate and so unique and at your own pace is what I love because, you know, I, I feel like the industry in its early days when I first started, it was very cookie cutter. It was like the same people showing up for the same dance. And now it's like, you know, I'm so fortunate. I get to try so many crazy things, but when I come to visit you and you and I are just thiefing out of these like barrels that you've coutured, you know, it's like a couture shopping experience. Yeah. And try that. I'm like, that is that's what makes the next level. And, and I will say, and you're all, and, and and Chris, you're the second guy too, man, that I've had on that comes from a strong wine background. So now you have a lot of wine background coming into whiskey, which I still always, you know, probably the fiftieth time I've said this on this podcast. But like one of the coolest thing when I hung out with Al Young was when he was like, oh, you know, I thought there was you know twenty five notes in bourbon and rye. And then when we got bought by the Japanese company, you know, the psalm came out and he found another 25 notes, you know? And I'm like, whoa, like this is kind of an interesting thing because uh, flavor, flavor doesn't have to be just one, a one trick pony. There's so many different levels and you're talking about barrels and charring and toasting and like all of that. It's like, you know, I go, I go down another one where I use like, I've, unfortunately, a lot of the big guys are using nonstick pans and the smaller guys are using cast iron. You know, it's like you get a different flavor you know yes, it's not consistent it, it, it's not consistent so you could be a little scared but that's you know, the difference when you're not having to like meet the cfo's million barrels of like you know one one thing oh yeah and right now like i said starlight we're only doing like 4.5 barrels a day small tiny now that changes drastically next year too because we just recently bought a new 18 inch continuous column which will, like you mentioned, change the way Starlight tastes. And we're very lucky that the community at large, like I said, the distillery is named after the town of Starlight, Indiana, and the farmers within Starlight. So we're able to get more and more lion's share of our farmers around us to start growing for us. But like you said, I mean, it's not cookie cutter, and you have to be able to understand your mash bills, your stills. I mean, for us, like I said, it'll take us weeks and weeks and months and maybe even years to figure out our new 18-inch continuous column and being able to understand what kind of alcohol it produces and where it best sits. So we're excited, and it's it's going to be a crazy growth, and I hope to see you back here very, very shortly. No, I'll be back. I'll be yeah, back it's... out as soon as it's a little warmer, but you guys didn't really have a winter, so probably be sooner than normal because, you know, I'm not, I'm not down with the cold weather. But, I mean, I can't thank you enough, my friend. Like, 
I have the most amazing experiences with you. I love geeking out. I love everything that you and your family are putting together back there. And you're just, you're a shining star in this community that honestly, I feel like all of a sudden the lights are on, you know, like bourbon, rise, uh, blend, whiskey blends, like it's all forefront right now. And it's exciting. And I don't see that changing. Of course, the the tequilas and all that kind of scowls. Like there's room for ever the rums. There's room for everybody. There's room for everybody, and it's so awesome. Like I said, to be a part of the community that wants to grow, that it's exciting. Like I said, without Starlight and or without just you know us here at Starlight, it's people like yourselves that make you know getting up and doing work. You know, people who are telling you know the untold story, and I just can't thank you enough either. And again, going back to it, it's. It's an honor to be your friend, but it's also an honor to be on here. Again, thank you for everything that you've been doing for Starlight as a whole. And we're excited to bring it to the next generation and bring it up even even further than where it is I, currently. I, I love watching it. I love experiencing it. And just just keep shining, man. You guys you guys are something special and the world needs more of that. Well, well, like I said, hopefully we'll do our part. And like I said, I can't wait to enjoy some more whiskey with you. But thank you again definitely well enjoy dinner with the girlfriend in Louisville tonight and I will see you very soon and thanks again for coming on today alright thank you so much alright thank you